Have you ever had a cool idea for your own product? Or maybe you haven't because you don't think you're that creative. Either way, today we're going to learn the process of how anyone can create their own physical products from scratch. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Serious Sellers podcast by Helium 10. I'm your host, Bradley Sutton, and this is the show that is a completely unscripted and unrehearsed organic conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the e-commerce world. Welcome to another episode. And today we've got Zach from Gemba here. Now, first of all, usually I actually haven't done this in like 50 episodes, but I have to ask as the first thing, what the heck does Gemba come from? Because that's kind of an interesting company name there. So that's the first thing I want to ask you, Zach. First of all, how's it going, Zach? Good, good. Uh, well, thanks for having me on, Bradley. I'm really excited to be on the show. Um, yeah, so we get that a lot uh, as far as what is it, what is the genesis of the name. So in Kaizen Manufacturing, there's a theory at Gemba that's the place where value is created on the manufacturing floor. So we loosely base it off of that. And in Chinese, gambe means uh, let's let's do this. So it's it's kind of a dual meaning there. And uh, uh, yeah, that's the, that's how the name came to be. Ah, okay. That makes sense. All right. So yeah, because I, I remember I remember first when I when I might have seen your email address. I think just mentally, I was thinking of that, what is it, a suffix or something's kind of like in Germany of companies say like isn't it like GBMH or GMBH or something yeah, like that? So I, yeah. For some reason, that was what was going through my mind. But then I actually just saw your your website for the very first time right this second. And I'm like, no, this is the name of their company. I'm like, what's <laughs> going on here? Yeah, yeah. In Japanese, gambate, you know, similar to that means like good luck or like go exactly. get it. So it's, you know, sounds exactly. similar to the Chinese even. Exactly. Cool. Gamba means uh, let's do this. And then uh, gambe means cheer. So it's, again, it's kind of loosely based off of all those things. We like to have fun at, at Gemba. So uh, the serious side of it is the, is the Japanese uh, interpretation of it. And the, and the fun side is the Chinese interpretation. Nice. Nice. All right. Well, we're, we're going to have to invite you to Southern California and let's, let's Gemba uh, the <laughs> night away at some bars or clubs or something right here. But anyways, let's get to the serious side of the Serious Sellers podcast here. This is not the let's have fun and drink podcast, but let's talk a little bit about something that we've never talked on this podcast about. It's like more on the development side of products, making products on Amazon. You know, we've had great sourcing episodes on here. We've had product research, but I think a the reason why I wanted to, to have you on here was a big factor I think that Amazon sellers are missing is you know differentiating their product and really taking a step beyond just taking an existing product and slapping your label or your brand on it. So I, I think you have a, some great insight on that. But first of all, talk a little bit about why you think that's even important nowadays as opposed to maybe five years ago where, yeah, you could become a, a, a million-dollar seller just by taking existing stuff and slapping your logo on it. But you definitely think the, the landscape has changed, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, we, we, we went to SellerCon, we went to IRC, we've been at a few of these trade shows. And I think the messaging is pretty clear that the, the buy and sell or white labeling days are, are coming to an end. And the reason for that is uh, it, it's just getting way too competitive. And part of the landscape is you know, a lot of people now have seen the success stories that have, you know, from the, the past five to 10 years of Amazon sellers. 
And their, their formula has always been to white label or slap a label on an existing product. So it's becoming a lot easier to do that through, you know, places like Alibaba. Um, now the landscape is kind of shifting to more of this create and sell economy where you need to actually create, you know, a brand, you need to create a category of products. You need to differentiate from what's out there because people want the coolest, latest invention. People want the coolest, latest trends. And what, what Alibaba did a great job was, is giving the ability to go and find an existing product and bring it to the masses really quickly. But as far as creating new products, that's something that they don't really do that well. So there's not really an outlet for someone to have that creative and innovative side of their, of their brand or their, or their product category. And so what we're trying to do at Gemba is really bring that to the, to the limelight and bring that to the forefront and really democratize that process so that people can have you know, not only Amazon sellers, but anyone can have an idea and bring it to, to mass production in a very efficient process and a very rapid, uh, quick serve model. Okay. Yeah, I completely agree. Now, initially, I think some people might say right off the top, like, you know, I can't afford to make a brand new product from scratch, which I don't think we're really talking about necessarily, or I can't afford to, you know, really completely change something you know, factories are going to ask for like a 20,000 quantity minimum to make a new mold or something. But, but can you talk, you know, uh, we can't go too much into detail, you know, in 30 minutes, but what about people who, who, who have those kind of initial kind of fears, uh, I guess, about differentiation and, and, and not doing this traditional stick your logo on a product? How can you alleviate some of these fears? Yeah. So at least the philosophy that we take at Gemba is that we want to have, if we're doing a quick serve model, that's really focused on the Amazon space. Uh, the goal is to be able to incrementally innovate on a product. Let's take an example of a company that does this really well based in Austin. It's, it's Yeti Coolers um, or Yeti. They, they took a, a wine glass, made, the, made the, you know, the original model that was made out of glass, which is pretty cheap to make, made it out of metal and added some insulation and was able to charge four to five X the price of you know, the, the normal wine glass that's out there. And there are almost a, you know, there are hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue per year co company. And so they really kind of pioneered this way of thinking of incrementally innovate on a product without having to spend tons of money up front on molds or, or tooling or all that stuff. And so the, you know, the, the, the way that we take this philosophy is trying to, you know, expand upon what they kind of pioneered here and make that come to, to the masses. And so we take a look at products that are on Amazon. There's tools out there that help you, you know, research what is hot. You know, I'm, I'm talking to one of the people that work at one of those companies called Helium 10. Um, but those tools kind of give you the research and do a lot of research. And you can look into the reviews on those on those products to see, okay, what are people saying about the product? So the research is kind of all there. Then you can come to uh, a design, you know, designer like us and and take something that exists. You kind of reverse engineer it through modeling, through 3D renderings, through you know 3D printing, and come up with a new product that might have an enhanced feature like um, you know a blowtorch that is made out of metal instead of plastic, or or a uh, you know a a, a piece of a, a phone case that has some sort of lanyard holder or some sort of wallet adjustment to it. Like there's there's very different things that you can do to different products that are not really um, expensive in terms of how they're going to increase the material costs, as well as from a design perspective, we make the process really straightforward. So, um, you know, getting a sketch and getting 3D renderings, getting CAD drawings is actually not that expensive. 
Um, and that way you can have the blueprints for the factory to, to really translate what they're trying to make into a, into a much more straightforward and, and affordable process uh, for, for the average Amazon seller. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. Now, when, when you say, Hey, uh, you know, CAD designs and different designs, you know, might not be that expensive. Like, what are we, what are we talking about? I remember like years ago, I was looking into getting some new kinds of, uh, what was it like headphones? And then they were like, Oh, you know, for us to do the CAD design, it's like, I don't remember. It was something ridiculous. Like how many thousand dollars? And then to make a mold, it was going to be either $15,000 minimum or something, but I know like technology has come a little ways where we're not talking about that kind of investment just to be able to get a design made, right? Right. From a design perspective, again, there's a lot of things you can do to get you to a working prototype without having to really uh, spend a lot of money on the molds. And that's, you know, uh, small batch manufacturing here in the United States. You can work with a local provider to do that. Um, 3D, 3D modeling or 3D printing. Um, those are really cheap. We're talking like, you know, 10, 15 bucks an hour for, to use a machine. And then as far as getting the actual drawings and renderings done, I mean, again, that's what we're trying to do at Gemba is democratize that process. And so what, what we've, our philosophy has been is that we're going to find really good, really good talent that can, we can put in front of you from a design perspective, from an industrial design perspective or an engineering perspective. Like, so we let our designers take it about 90% of the way there. And then we leave it to the factory to take it the other 10% as far as production goes. You know, I've seen customers that come to us that have spent thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars on designs. And then when we take it to the factory, well, the factory's going to have their input on what they can actually do, right? So you, know, you can take a, a, a really complex electronic toy, for example, and let's say that the factory says, okay, you know, this component, this component, this component can't be made in mass production. Well, then you just spent a lot of money on a, a really nice, maybe beautiful looking design but it might not actually be able to be produced. And so what, what we're trying to do is take that bird's eye view of production and say, okay, we have, a, we have expertise in design. We have expertise in manufacturing. Let's bridge the gap here and come up with a, with a product that's within your budget as well as feasible for production. What about the molding process? Can you explain what factories need? Like a lot of people don't understand that, you know, to make something new, whether it's going to be plastic or whether it's going to be wood or steel, there's something that's needed first yep. that's called like, I guess, mold or tooling. Can you, can you talk a little bit about the concept, I guess, behind that? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there are three main product categories that we're, we're going to talk about in terms of what would take uh, a mold and that's plastics, glass, and metals. And those are injection molded items. And so basically an injection mold is they take the raw material, which is a molten version of the, of the source material. So a molten version of plastic, molten version of glass or metal, and they inject it into a mold to create the final product. So all of the products you see that are made out of uh, plastic or glass or, you know, or metal, you know, any office furniture that you see that has metal, that has metal legs or, or a plastic cup that you drink out of, those are all going through an injection molded process. And there's various different types of injection molded process. There's blow molding. There's just straight injection. Um, you know, there, there's a lot. There's a lot of different ways to get this done, and those are the kinds of those are the kinds of products that are going to have a lot of upfront fees. Um, to understand a little bit more about how to you know manage that or mitigate that from a cost perspective is working with your factory and getting a good factory partner where you can get a reimbursement for those types of upfront costs on the mold fees. And so, you know, obviously creating a new product, you're taking a, a pretty you know substantial risk potentially on uh, whether this has a product market fit. So you really need to do your research on the front end to make sure that you have a product that you think is going to be a winner. 
And then once you do that, you, you know, you kind of decide, okay, what kind of product is it going to be? Is it going to be a plastic cut and sew, you know, apparel, something like that. And the cut and sew products are not really going to have uh, molds assessed with it unless you're getting like special, you know, special plastic attachments that go on the apparel or, or the cut and sew item. And cut and sew items like a plush toy or, or anything that you see like a chair that has the top that's kind of sewn together, right? Um, so then injection molded items like the plastics and the glasses, those are the ones that are going to have the most expensive parts about, about it. But again, um, you know, glass items are typically going to have less upfront costs if they're smaller. So like, you know, a few five, 500, thousand bucks on a small glass item, the plastic ones, because of the, the, the size of the molds, those are the ones that are going to be more expensive. So when you're looking at, um, you know, those kind of items, that's, that's something you want to take into account. The metals, same thing. They're probably in between the two, between plastic and glass in terms of cost perspective goes. Now, when you're talking about tooling, that's the next step after the mold is here's what it takes for me to um, actually make the product finalized. So they have fixtures, they have jigs, they have gauges, they have dies, they have cutting equipments, different patterns that they place on different items. So uh, if you think about like a, uh, you know, some sort of, some sort of leg on a chair that has a weird zigzag to it. Um, it might be you know, molded first into a straight form, and then they use the machine to cut out the zigzags that go into the bottom of the chair of the legs. So that's the difference between injection molding and tooling. And tooling is just going to be another cost for the machine that they have to make that would put that final touch on those, you know, those finished goods. Okay. So then how the process, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but how the process might play out, you know, somebody, doing product research, they see a whatever they, they, they investigate it on Amazon. They, they look at it on Alibaba, but they're like, you know what? I have an idea about how I can make this a little bit different. I'm going to add a handle here. I'm going to add a, uh, some kind of function here. Maybe they would first kind of make a sketch of what they had in mind, but then they would give that to somebody who could make, you know, either a blueprint or, or 3d design. And then would then uh, there be like actual 3D printing? Does, is that part of the process too? Is that what factories nowadays use in order to make that mold? Or did I miss any steps here? Well, you can get a mold made from the basic standpoint of, with just a you know, 2D CAD drawing model that shows all the dimensional information and shows all the size and, and shape of the, the finished product. Um, if you want to go the next step, you can do a CNC type of uh, rendering of your product, or you can do a 3D printing rendering of your product. And those are going to give you um, kind of like a, a real live look at what the, fi- what the finished product will look like. And so once you, if you give that to the factory, it's just going to increase the precision and accuracy. And also, you know, it also will save you a lot of costs up front because if you don't like how that's going to come out from the CNC or 3D printing version, you're not going to like how it looks in the mold. So it's a way for you to really spend a lot less money up front and get your product perfect and then send it to the factory and say, this is exactly what I'm looking for. And I'll make it out of, you know, this plastic or this metal or this glass or whatever, you know, source material you want to do. And you can add whatever coloring to it. You can add whatever, you know, down the line stitching or, or gradients you want to add to the materials that you put onto it. But, uh, but if you're looking for something that's molded, I would recommend always getting a three, 3D rendering or printing of your item so you can see and feel it and touch it and, and understand what it's going to look like. Uh, when it goes to mass production. Okay. Interesting. All right. Now, a lot of this sounds pretty high level. So I I don't think you could just go to 1688 or AliExpress or Alibaba and try and find some factory or you don't even know if it's a factory or if it's a trading company 
and say, hey, here, here's my 3D design. Can you produce this? What's the best way that somebody can find a factory who's even able to handle, you know, this this kind of level of of designs and and technology? Yeah, I would I would recommend getting with an expert or someone who understands the landscape of the country that you're trying to do the production in. Because they're you're right. I mean, when you're talking about putting in molds into into uh, the equation, you're going to want to find someone who's done something similar to this before. And Alibaba or you know the other the other outlets that you're talking about may not be the best way to do that. So you know that's something that we can do. Uh, I know there's other companies out there or sourcing agents out there that do something like that. Um, and, and maybe it's a good place to start. But at least until you get comfortable with that process, I would highly recommend using an expert into into when you're you know sourcing factories for that type of that type of production. Okay, now. If you are doing this level, you know, where you're having to make a new mold or new tooling, I mean, by definition, you're now coming out with something unique. Now, I know a lot mm-hmm. of people are worried about, hey, I want this to stay, you know, by my, you know, for me, but I'm afraid that, hey, I, I just invested all this money into a mold in a factory in China. You know, what's mm-hmm. to stop them from going out and letting other people take that mold and just slap their own logo on it? So, like, what what do you suggest? I mean, obviously, there's no 100% foolproof way to protect yourself, but are there any steps that right. sellers should take that can help ease the possibility or lessen the possibility of something like this happening? Yeah. So, the first step is obviously filing patents and provisional patents. I mean, if you work with a good attorney on that, you can get those filed pretty quickly. Um, design patents take a little bit longer, you know, three to six months probably to get those filed. And then utility takes, I mean, could take years, right? And so if you, do, if you file the provisional, you file the, the, the design, you'll have protection, you know, in the country that you're trying to sell it. So whether you sell in the United States or, or Europe or wherever you want to, you know, wherever your operation is, that's, that's the first step. Um, if you want to go in beyond that, you can work with someone like us who has, you know, an entity set up in China that can help enforce contracts in China and, and, that's kind of the next step in terms of, you know, enforcing patentability overseas in the, in the place that you're doing production. Okay. All right. And then what, what are some of the costs in like, well, I'm assuming when you're talking about the patents, you're talking about here locally in the U S so to, to get a, a patent on a, a certain design, like what, what kind of cost would somebody be looking into for that? Yeah, that, that really depends on, um, level of scrutiny and level of protectability you want. I mean, you can, it can cost thousands. It can cost hundreds. It really just depends on what you're trying to protect. Um, if it's something that's really intense in terms of, you know, a, a big mold and a big design and something that, you know, has, has actual utility that no one's used before. I mean, that, that is going to cost you thousands of dollars. Um, but if you're talking about the Amazon world where that's not really what, not necessarily what most people are trying to do, they're just trying to incrementally innovate I mean, something like that is not going to cost, you know, the thousands of dollars mark to to accomplish. Okay. So Zach, is there any example that you could give uh, of maybe something you've done or something you've heard done where you can really kind of illustrate the process and how it really works about how you can take an idea and kind of make it a little bit unique and maybe a success story. Uh, You got anything like that you can give us? Yeah, I, I I do have an example of uh, you know from our perspective of a of a customer that came to us and tried to incrementally innovate on a product. So they came to us with a product that you can put in your you know you can hang up in your room. Uh, and what they saw in the market was that there's a trend for the shape of the product, um, but there was a need to to de- differentiate uh, on the design. And so what we did is we 
took some, you know, took some of the the framing of what it was, what was going on in the product and change it from, you know, a metal to a wood and change the design of it uh, and really made a nice, a nice looking product from an aesthetics perspective. And then, you know, once you get to that step, you can, you know, go through sketching, get, you know, get iteration and feedback, use customer testing to make sure that you have the right design. And then you can start going into the full CAD drawings. And so once you do that, you've kind of laid out the blueprint for the factory to do their job and price this thing out. Um, the next step after that is to you know, take that, that blueprint, go to the factory and make sure that they can actually make this. And so in this case, we found someone who's making a product that was similar uh, and, and had experience uh, importing or exporting wood into the United States, because that's obviously an, an, a crucial step when you're creating a product from scratch is, is obviously the compliance aspect of it, as well as making sure that you have to find a good factory. But once we did that, um, we used the sampling phase to really get it right. And so once they got the sampling phase right uh, and got their, their golden sample and their final, you know, pre, their final production sample, they're able to make that product into a nice product that's being sold on Amazon currently. And so, you know, that's, that's a cut and dry and easy way to make, you know, an incremental innovation without having to spend a ton of money up front, not a lot of money on, on mold costs and mold fees and tooling fees, and still get a really nice product that differentiates from the market. Uh, and, and that's kind of what the, the Amazon world is looking at today. Okay. That's, that's great information. And I, I like that example here. And I hope everybody was, was paying attention. If, if that was a little bit went over your head, guys. Guess what? Pause, rewind, and re-listen to that because that's important and something that can help you differentiate yourself. So, so talk a little bit about the difference of, you know, like a lot of this, you know, somebody might be saying, wait a minute, you know, we're talking about designs and stuff uh, and having ideas and, and wanting to differentiate. I get that, but why can't I just hit up a factory and just verbally or in an email tell them kind of like my specifications of what I want? Why do I have to go and, and do 3D you know, 3D CAD designs and things like that. So what would you say to somebody who, who might say that? That's a really good question, Bradley. And I want to touch on this because I think it's really important. Um, and so the analogy I always bring to the table when I talk about, you know, the difference between going and doing it yourself versus uh, getting a real design and engineer to make, you know, a blueprint is, is building a house, right? You wouldn't build a house without an architect. And then you wouldn't have the architect give it to the builder without your input and you wouldn't have the builder try and make the house without the architect. And so really in the, in the sense of making a product, it's the same exact way of thinking. You, you sh- if you go directly to the manufacturer, if you, like if you go directly to the builder, they're going to cut corners, they're going to say yes to everything that they can do. And then you're going to come up with a defective product because they don't know exactly the dimensions. They don't know exactly the, uh, the size, the shape, the materials. And that's really what the, the design and engineering uh, specs give to the factory is that blueprint of how to make your product. And so the, the steps that you need to take in order to get a, a, a new or incrementally innovative product out on the market is, you know, get that, get that design in, in order, make sure that you have the, you know, your ideas flushed out through a sketch or through a rendering, get it into a, a real blueprint, which is the cat, the 2d CAD drawings that show all the dimensions that show all the build materials that show how everything is constructed and then get it made into a 3d printed model so that you can have some sort of tangible way to show the factory exactly what you want. Ah, okay. All right. That makes sense. So any last words uh, of wisdom here for, for somebody who maybe are, is just listening to this and it's just like, whoa, whoa, like this is, this is, sounds crazy. You know, I thought I could just order something from Alibaba, but which guys, that still works too. But maybe some last words of wisdom to somebody who might be a little bit intimidated about what we've talked about. Maybe, you know, to kind of motivate them 
to, to take the leap. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, there's, there's companies out there that did this in other categories. Uh, you know, H and M did this for fashion. They made, they made fashion, fast fashion accessible to the masses. Right. Same with, uh, uh, you know, Yeti in terms of bringing a, an incrementally innovative product into the market without having to spend a ton of money on, on differentiation. And so I think that there's, you know, there's a lot of creative people out there. There's a lot of good data out there that shows you the blueprint of what, a, what is going to sell next and what, on how to ride a trend. And really just the next step is really just to take that leap of faith and believe in what you think and bring your ideas to reality because there's a lot of good ideas out there. There's a lot of people and a lot of ways to get your, your ideas to the masses via Instagram or Facebook or Amazon or Walmart or, you know, different ways to, to really expose, expose your, your brand, expose your products out there in the market. And so, you know, try it out once. Um, and you'll, again, if you come up with something that's completely unique, you're the one who reaps the benefits. You're the one who makes the money off of that. And so what I would say is, you know, really take the time, do a little bit more research than you have in the past and try and come up with some crazy or really cool or really exciting new products that, you know, people like me can buy. Cause I, I love that stuff. Cool. All right. Well, I thank you very much, Zach, for your time. Now, I'm sure there's other questions that people might have about this because this is a pretty, pretty in-depth and, and new for many people concept for a lot. So if they want to reach out to you to, to get some more information, how can they how can they locate you? Yeah. So there's two ways. You can go to www.gemba.com, G-E-M-B-A-H.com, and you can fill out the form to, to get a, at least a high level understanding of what we do. Uh, you can also email info at gemba.com and we'll be in touch with you to kind of walk you through the steps and the process of how to really create and manufacture uh, a, you know, a really innovative or really new idea from scratch. All right. Sounds good, Zach. Thank you very much for your time today. And we'll look forward to talking to you in the future. Quick note, guys, don't forget that regardless where you are listening to this podcast, whether it's on your iPhone or on Stitcher or on Spotify, that you hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified every time we drop a new episode.